0: what does it mean messiah matters It means apart from him we can do nothing it means he is the way the truth and the
1: life yeshua is the only way of salvation he is everything We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have the Messiah to know the Tanakh.
0: Without Messiah, we have nothing.
1: Basically, it's all about the Messiah. it's wednesday july 18th 2018 this is messiah matters number 226 knee deep in god's grace and convinced it's overwhelming my name is caleb hagg and with me still feeling the cool breeze from the waters of court d'Alene in his hair <laughs> uh, Rob i like Vanhoff. that that what was up, good Rob? how's it going, brother? You're going
0: well knee deep <laughs> and still feeling overwhelmed
1: yeah wow yeah right on i'm preparing Look for a uh Preparing for my trip to Ontario, and by the way, for those who uh, received the show notes, I put in there a little, uh, a little blurb about Ontario. If you are in the Ontario area and you'd like to know more about the conference, it's a mini conference. It's just one day long, Uh, Sunday, August. I want to get this right. August fifth, I believe it is Sunday, August fifth. Um, you can so basically the the space is very limited and they didn't know exactly how they were going to try to get uh you know uh, make it so that they don't have just loads of people uh try to cram into a space. So they asked if they could basically uh, have people email them and then they would you know they would give out the information until the space was taken. So if you want to go to that conference, by all means, um it's a day long conference. Uh, my father should be I'll be speaking twice. I believe my father will be speaking three times, th- three or, yeah, I think, I think three times. So, uh, my dad's got some really great, uh, lectures that he's going to give on the Holy Spirit, which will be interesting. What does it mean to speak in tongues? Uh, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm speaking on election, uh, and then God's grace, which, uh, I'm excited for and uh so if you want to be a part of that go ahead check out the show notes and we should also have something going out probably today on face on the tour resource facebook and whatnot what's up with your conference in trinidad is that open to the public or is it just a specific community
0: no it's open there's flyers i think they're putting together and they're going to be going out and so i know it's it's uh going to be a broader reach than just the local community very cool So that's going to be exciting.
1: So uh, just uh, uh, Rob and I spent about an hour prior to coming on the air trying to work out audio and video issues. So we we believe that we've figured out most of them. There should be some flickers still on his screen. We're still working with that. But if his audio is much quieter than mine, it sounds to me, it sounds much quieter, but when I play back the recording of us, it's actually perfect. So in the chat room, if the... uh, the audio is off, just let us know. Okay, hey, let's get into it right away because why not, right? Uh, last week we had so many technical issues that I think we spent, I don't know, 15 minutes on air trying to trying to work it all out, uh, which was embarrassing. But uh, that's okay. Be a part of this conversation and you can do that by calling our comment line 253-465-3205. Before we move on from the comment line, I should say someone called and left a great message on the comment line and they asked the question, and I don't know what happened to that message. I liked it. I listened to it. I was going to save it, and I can't find it anywhere now. So, if we don't answer your question, I apologize. We try to listen to. We do listen to every single message that comes in. Um, you just get an answering machine, so you can yell at us. You can tell us you love whatever. You, it doesn't matter. It's up to you. Uh, free reign on the uh, on the. So, in other words,
0: line. if if you recently called and left an awesome question, <laughs> yeah. And you think you you think it might be yours that got lost, call back.
1: <laughs> yes. Pretty much. Um, you can also shoot us email c h e g at tora at at com. And of course, let's not forget, uh, always go to Torresource com and find C-H-E-G-G all sorts of things. We can make a jingle, right? Torresource dot Um Yeah. So we're there's a lot that goes on at Torah Resource. I, maybe this is too big of a rabbit trail. There's a lot that goes on at Torah Resource that I think a lot of people don't realize. Maybe not even Rob. We're we're rebuilding and we've rebuilt the Torah Resource site, I believe, twice in the past couple of years. We've done that for multiple reasons. Um, a lot of it's learning experience. So the new rebuild of the site that we're doing right now is not actually... I mean, you might you might see some changes. There's some design changes that will be made, but it's essentially going to look the same. It's essentially going to function the same. So it's more for speed. It's more for searchability. But man, there's some cool stuff that we're figuring out on how to uh, how to make it all look good, and 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 I'm excited for it. So Torah Resource, that's going to be fun. Okay, let's move on. Okay, uh, this is a comment that was left on what's a, our. What's
0: the name of our show
1: today? What did I put? Uh, holy language question mark because we're talking about Greek and we're talking about Hebrew but no, and uh, let's actually let's bring our chat room into this so last week there was kind of this trail off of we're going to talk about mikvahs for believers next week and baptisms right so we're more than happy to do that and we actually have Jessica is becoming the rock star I see her in the chat room she's becoming the rock star she's like the secretary of, of the Messiah matters at this point because I'll be like man I forget like questions or whatever and then she's like you know she she sends me these messages that has like here's the bullet points of things that you need to talk about it's like aha these are my new show notes so good on you. Jessica, don't be sorry at all. She says, sorry, don't be sorry. It is actually very helpful. Um, <laughs> it's nice to have people who are engaging because it actually keeps us on track a bit. So um, uh, Jessica wrote basically the bullet points of mikvahs and what cool. we should talk about today, which is great. And uh, and so I actually have those in my show notes. However, when I went back and I looked at how much we have to cover I was very skeptical on whether or not we were going to make it to mikvahs today and or baptism. So um, I, uh, I, I decided let's not name it that just in case we don't just in case we have to push that to next week. So <laughs> we have some preliminary things we need to talk about first. So this is left on a Facebook uh, post that I made. And, you know, I should say that uh, I try to link Facebook posts on almost every show notes. If you don't get our show notes, I would encourage you to do so. Go sign up for our show notes. You can do it. Go to tourresource.com, hover over TR Radio in the toolbar, then go down to Messiah Matters. Once you click on that, in the right-hand side, there's a place to sign up for our show notes. And uh, once you sign up, you only sign up once, and boom, there it is. You get them every single week. And uh, They're not long. I try not to, you know, I try not to, like, flood people with too much information. But this is a a discussion that we had on Facebook, and uh, here's what the person says. They say, um, and I I think this is the Nelson, I forget. Um, They say, uh, and and so they start with uh, quoting Revelation 14, 12 through 13. And they say, it says, here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Yeshua. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And then there's three questions from this person. They say, it seems that this passage is defining the group saints as those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Yeshua. Point two, verse 13 seems to imply that death is rest from our labors, therefore life is the time to labor, and that our deeds follow us into the afterlife. Number three, if this is an accurate reading of these verses, then how is this not teaching salvation equals faith plus works? So in other words, salvation is faith plus works. It can't be, since that would contradict other passages. But it could easily be understood that way, so I'll start, and uh, then Rob, you can you can come in and tell me how wrong I am. Um, <laughs> I think that salvation, and I've I've said this many times, salvation is faith plus works. Now, before all the Christians start turning off their YouTube's or you know st- uh, you know stop stop the iTunes uh, play. We need to be very careful about how we explain this because I fully and 100% believe and teach that justification is by faith alone. Not only do I believe that, but as a person who believes in the doctrines of grace, I believe that uh, that that faith is a gift from God. So I believe that God's faith and his grace are a monogistic work, monogistic meaning it's only one person's work, and that person is God. It has nothing to do with us. That's justification. Monergistic. Yeah. Salvation, however, is made up of two things, which is justification and sanctification. Now, the Reformers talked about this as well because they asked if salvation, they use the word salvation, is a synergistic or monergistic work. Monergistic work. And synergism is uh, is a, a word that's put together um, from two words, and this means a dual work or a co- or a co work, cooperative, cooperative work, yeah. work, right? And so um, we could say now the reformers rightfully determined that salvation was a, was a monergistic work. In other words, it was God only. However, the, this was kind of a, one of the places where the, the Reformers had to say, well, um, it's both and. Now, before I get all these emails, I understand that the Reformers certainly preached that salvation is a monogistic work. Okay, But um, with that said, sanctification is synergistic in that it is a dual work. The Holy Spirit helps us and indwells us to be able to become sanctified unto him. So unless we ha- unless the Holy Spirit gave us the gift and the ability to become sanctified, we wouldn't be able to do it. In that respect, the, the reformers are absolutely right. It's monergistic. And uh, one reason that I'm uh, able, you know, I'm, my head is very much in this space right now because this is what I'm teaching about in, in Ontario. Um, however, especially when we look at it from our point of view and not only that, but from the scriptures point of view, Sanctification is a synergist, synergistic work. In other words, the Holy Spirit and us, the individual, do this work together of sanctification. And sanctification and justification are what make up salvation. Now, once again, I I want to stress very, very uh, strongly that I believe the reformers to be right that salvation is monergistic. However, sanctification is is a work is a dual work between us and the Holy Spirit. And this is part of salvation. And therefore, salvation is justification and sanctification together. And this would include works. Now, justification has nothing to do with us and it has nothing to do with works. We are justified by God alone. It is a gift from God, grace from God fully. This is, and I think this is uh, put out through the scrip- scriptures. Are you and uh, hang on, Chris uh, in the chat room says, "Are you using the word justification differently than the ESV translate, uh, translators use it here, James two twenty four? You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone." Yeah. Okay. So, well, this is this is uh, this is a great question, and and Paul says the same thing, right? Paul says the same thing in Romans two. He says, uh, "We know that a person is is justified by works." but we have to take all of the scripture together. Wait, it.
0: in Romans in Romans 2, he words it differently. Does he, he Hang says, on, let's let's look at it. Yeah. But
1: what do you think, Rob?
0: Well, the the idea is when you are justified by faith, you are a new creation. Right. And you behave in the world according to a whole new map of of what is real, of what is uh, valuable. Because if you have the spirit, as Paul writes in Galatians, if you have the spirit of the son in your heart, whereby you cry, Abba, Father, that means you're like with the Lord's prayer, you know, you're seeking God's will be done. You're seeking his kingdom first and foremost.
1: And what does that mean though? And it's,
0: it's, but, it's in, but it's in Messiah and it's Messiah's resurrection life.
1: 100%. But that true, is true. operating
0: in you. And so that that is going to, it's not like you're taken out of the world. You're still in the world, but now you're behaving in the world on that foundation of faith. And that is still a term though. We can still call that works. And then you could have another person who's doing something that outwardly looks the same. Oh, that person keeps the Sabbath or that person, uh, uh, you know, whatever, you know, is, is giving charity. Well, what's the difference between, you know, the, the person who gives charity, but they aren't a new creation and Messiah. It's it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. Yeah, so so we're getting into that. We got to remember that that at that moment of of faith, genuine faith that is reckoned as righteousness, that is a taste of that new creation life. And that's true for Abraham, and it's true even for Rahab who's mentioned both, you know, someone quoted James chapter 2. But notice the dip, a key difference if, if you're going to read Paul and James together concerning how justification is defined and how works is defined. We have to remember that in James, the two examples that James brings are not works that we would think of commandments of Torah. They're obedience to God's, uh, to belief in in God. Abraham offering Isaac, right, like we read in Genesis 22, and with Rahab, it's the story of her hearing the spies. She believes the report. She says there's no, go- the, you know, there's only one God. He's the God. Uh, uh, Yodhivave, your Elohim, who created the heavens and earth, I think I'm totally paraphrasing. But she's like, even though she's a Rahab the harlot living in Jericho, she confesses the God of Israel. And she says, you know, she saves the spies. Right. And and what James is saying, and you gotta remember, this is James's great, 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 great grandma that he's talking about, Rahab here, that this was she was just her faith. It never says Rahab believed. That's part of James' point. It never says Rahab believed and it was credited as righteousness. What James is saying is the fact of what she did put her life on the line to save these spies and confess the truth of God of Israel and then her negotiating with the terms of how her and her family would be rescued and how she becomes part of Israel and becomes part of the line of Messiah. That James' point is that well, we don't, we don't see Rahab saying, oh, I, I have faith. We don't see the scripture even telling us point blank Rahab believed. All we see is this good fruit, right? And so I think what James is wanting to say is that look at what she did. Don't go around telling me you believe, you know, because that, the words are talk is cheap, right? You need to, your life, just like Abraham just like Rahab. And both Abraham and Rahab, by the way, are mentioned in Hebrews 11 by a different author as examples of those people before Yeshua came in the flesh who lived according to new life faith, even when the world was was horrible to them, when they were, you know, persecuted, killed, sodded, sundered, etc.
1: So, um, Paul talks about this, and he talks about this exact conversation. Romans two thirteen and following. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. What is this? This is new New covenant. That would be Rahab. That, that, exactly. That, uh, Rahab's a perfect example
0: of what Paul's saying there. She had faith, even though, this, even though the book of Joshua never explicitly says, and Rahab believed, and it was, you know, she was righteous. It never tells us that. We just, we just see it in there. We see the story, and we go, wow. Not only did this woman put her life on the line, right? but she was a harlot. What? Why, what is the scripture teaching us here? And then we have it again with with Ruth, of course, later uh, down the road. But James specifically brings
1: up Abraham and Rahab. So we started this conversation. And we See, were I'm up, a spaghetti brain. It's we, all connected. So we, we started this conversation. We had like thirty five people listening on YouTube, and as soon as we started getting into it, it just went down and down and down until we had like twenty one. And Now it's creeping back up. That's funny. I don't know why, but my uh, my video keeps uh, stopping. Oh well, uh, we're 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 fine with it. Okay, Um, so I hope that answers the question. I mean, this is one of those things, I honestly believe this, that there are some things that are just of God that are way beyond us. You know, we've talked about uh, Trinitarian doctrine or the, you know, that Yeshua is God and how this is, ultimately we have to, no matter what side of the fence you're on, you have to throw your hands up and say, this is a mystery. Sure. And
0: one last thought, too, is is in John 15, Yeshua talks about, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branch, and I'm going to bring fruit into the world. Okay. Yeshua didn't deliver the souls of the elect from sin so that they would just sit there and not be fruitful, right? Right. In other words, it the expectation is that there will be fruit because that that's by design. the 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 inherent logic, just as the inherent logic of the apple seed, given all its uh, uh, necessary, you know, uh, environment according to its design, what will it do? It'll sprout up, and it'll produce apples. Right. So that's what faith is like, right? Yeshua uses the seed example time and time again. That the idea is that that the the increase comes from God, right, a- and that it's anticipated. Right. People should be doing good works, right? People should be doing works that correspond with the commandments. That I mean, now that people say, "Oh, you're a legalist," you know. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I you know, I think that uh, the idea of of legalism. I've had this fight before, too. What does legalism mean? Well, if you believe that legalism is what, you know, if if you believe that the law is what saves you, that's how I view a legalist. I don't believe that Yeshua taught salvation by works. I don't believe that the Bible teaches salvation by works. I believe, but that doesn't mean that there isn't law. Right. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Now, so for those who listen on a regular... Otherwise, why would we be corrected? Right, exactly. If If... He says, "You're my children," and
0: and even in the Epistle of Hebrews, he quotes the the proverb about how if you're really a, a child, then you receive the encouragement, but you also receive correction and instruction and and you rebuke when it's necessary. Why? Because our behavior matters to the Father. Right. It's not like oh, you just we're brought into this chaotic freedom where we just do whatever impulse is right. uh triggered at the moment right that i'm with you sorry no, i know then okay
1: could, so so maro i think his name is maro m a u r o in the chat room actually uh, makes a great lead in here he says um, anybody want to send me some free resources shalom yes absolutely go to TorahResource.com. go up to the uh, the uh, library hover over library and go down to uh, articles click on that you have over 100 uh, uh, free articles to download, scholarly articles, tons of free resources there. Um, also, for a Torah portion, you can go by one year or three year cycle and
0: download. I'm not sure if the audio's up there, but I know at least Tim Hague's written notes for the whole Torah, any Torah portion, whether you're first or one year or a three year. Is up there, uh, right? Yeah, so that's all available,
1: and uh, and uh, we just posted the links in the chat room for tomorrow uh, to be able to click on those, go to those, and uh, fi- uh, figure that out there. What you would like to read, or yeah, it's uh, it's all free. Okay, um, so for those who listen to the show on a regular basis, you know that we have instituted uh, paid credits. And basically, you can become an executive or an associate producer of this show. Uh, in, we are in the summer quarter, and uh, when you become a credited producer, then you, uh, you pay for an entire quarter, not just one week or anything like that. You pay for an entire quarter. Oh, and that reminds me, well, since we're doing this now, let's uh, go ahead and, and roll through our credits right now. Our associate producer is Gary Elkins, uh, executive producer Bob Miller, Another executive producer is LaRue Miller. Uh, And then uh, last week we had an executive producer come in uh, for YeshuaShirts.com. Thank you very much. And, of course, this show is created and produced by Torah Resource. But we have another one this week, another executive producer credit. And this one uh, is they wanted to be anonymous. Which is totally fine. Um, but we want to say a thank you, and we will do that by giving you a nice – and actually, so what what I did in the show notes was I credited credited them as the wise men from the East because in the Bible, that those people are anonymous, right? The wise men in the East are anonymous. anonymous. So we uh, put you down as the wise men in the East. And to you, we would like to say thank you. Uh, if I can find it here. Why am I not?
0: Are we gonna bless the, the wise I was men going
1: to try, east? but for some reason my uh, my soundboard is off. Well, you know what? We'll bless them next week. Thank Their you. producer credit will still be there next week. We'll bless you next week, wise men from the east. We appreciate your support. And if you would like to become a credited producer, you can do so by going to Torresource.com, hover over TR radio, go down to Messiah Matters. That's our page. You can find all the information there. And basically anytime we talk about Anything about this show, you can find it on that page. Okay, Jessica, uh, the Messiah Matters uh, uh, assistant now, or uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she writes in, and this is a great question as well. Uh, she says, "I get this is a comment that was left on one of our YouTube uh, videos on Mark 719. For those who don't know, let's catch everybody up. For those who don't know, uh, Mark 719 is talking about, he's talking about what makes a person clean, right? He's talking about the hypocrite and he's talking about the Pharisees and how they're so busy washing the outside of their body to make it clean that they forget that what's on the inside is unclean and that you need to wash the inside before you can worry about the outside. Um, And he uses the the analogy. It's actually very clever. He uses the analogy of excrement because excrement is unclean. And he said, you know, for I walk in your, you know, you... You should go outside the camp, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, go outside the camp, use a shovel, and do your business out there, and then cover it over before I walk in your camp, right? Mm -hmm. So, in other words, the Holy One doesn't want to have to worry about stepping in something unclean. And what does the body do? The body has something on the inside that's unclean, and it purges what is unclean and gets it out, and it goes into the latrine. And so my father wrote a—I uh, should have put this in the show notes, the link to this article, but it's you can find it in the articles on Torah Resource. My father wrote a uh, lengthy article on the grammar of this. Um, and uh, this it's, is— so, Yeah, specifically on this point where—and it's only in—of
0: all the Gospels, it's only Mark 7, where some translations say, thus he declared all foods clean.
1: Right, exactly. So it, it, in some of your new tra- translation—new uh, new translations— new word translations, I should say, you'll see that it says, and thus Jesus declared all foods clean. And this is a commonly used passage for uh, people in the mainstream Christian church to say, see, look, the uh, the the kosher laws have been done away with. Um, however, if you right. look in your King James Version Bible, and or if you, I think it's in the New King James as well. If you look in your New King James Version Bible, it says, thus purging all foods. So that's Seems like quite a big difference in English, thus purging all foods and thus declaring all foods clean. However, in the Greek, it's, uh, it matters w- grammatically. It just hangs on the, the grammar of, of the, the structure of the, of the actual verse. So my father wrote a lengthy paper on this. You can find it at a Torah resource. And this is what Jessica says. <clears throat> Jessica says, I gave the Mark 719 article to a seminary trained family member of mine who studied Greek and Hebrew and asked him to comment On the linguistic analysis presented, he replied as follows. Now, I assume that this is word for word. Just uh, she copied and pasted this. Uh, This is a quote. The author seems to grasp the issue at hand—that the participle must have an antecedent that matches its own gender, case, and number. This is applied in the verb, not the the pronoun. Legay, he said, as he states, uh, this is the most obvious reading of the text. Page 17. The verse should be translated, he said, cle- cleansing all foods. Uh, are you so lacking in understanding also? His case against this is faulty for two reasons. One is the assertion that catharitzo has an alternate meaning of purge. Now, my father and I actually sat down after this was, after this was, uh, after we read this, I, I sent it to him as well, and we did a study. Uh, just a quick search. It wasn't really a study. We just a quick search in the Septuagint of this word catharizzo. and I would disagree with the idea that uh, this never means purge. I I think it's pretty obvious. There's there's several. Now, granted, there are several places where it obviously means to make clean. But yeah, that, that we have to. There's so many ways
0: to tackle this question. But if the first point he makes is that you have a, this participle which is translated in the King James as purging, Right. Um, purging all meats, um, needs to have an antecedent. Because remember, a, a participle in Greek does not have a um, it needs an actor. It needs, you need to know who is doing the action.
1: This is going to get technical get for those participle. who are listening but hang in there with us. Yeah, so
0: what the the this uh, response to Tim's article and it's the same stance taken in many translations is that the antecedent is this verb lege which is the first word of verse 18. But we're looking the participle doesn't occur till towards the end of verse 19. So it's it's a pretty big stretch to suggest that the person who gets to the participle needs to remember a word that was like twenty-five words earlier. Uh, I think that's a big stretch. I think the King James version is it has it very simply, and that the antecedent is the abstract process of what's going on in the digestive system, and that's what your your dad says in the article, and and um, so, but a few things. This is there has been different. Arguments back and forth as to how this is meant. And one, you could just look at the BDAG, the Greek lexicon. Right. Greek lexicon puts this verb, it could be, it could just mean like the King James, purging all meats, or it could mean there's arguments that it could mean this other. So, in other words, the the lexicon itself doesn't Doesn't give weight to one or the other. It says there's just a dispute here and there's arguments on both sides, but it doesn't deal with it in depth. But one point back to what you're saying about the verb katharizo, to purify. it I'll tell you what it never means. It never means something like a, a pig becoming kosher. Right? right? It never means something that is inherently impure becoming pure. The only things that become pure in Scripture are things that are already pure, but they have temporarily been defiled right The that's that's the important thing to remember so when you see a, per, a person be de, becoming declared clean they are they were clean and then something happened and they lost that status and then the torah gave the prescription as to how to get back and under the proper you know priestly supervision or what have you you know all the things were done correctly and then there's And then it's clean again. Okay. So the verb could be used in that situation. Or a temporary uh, bodily discharge, any of these things that, uh, you know, male or female, that would take a a person who's inherently clean, shift their status to to impure, they go through the Torah prescription for uh, regaining purity, and boom. They're, they're clean again. Okay. So that's what this verb is talking about. Not just going magically with a wand and touching and, a right, scorpion to right. or a lobster and saying, boom, you are clean. clean. You know, you've been cleansed. Yay. That's not what's happening here. Right. Um, uh, the other thing is, it, I think it, it makes more sense because we're talking about vessels, like you point out it, in Mark. He talks. He even sets us up in Mark seven with, "Look, you deal with vessels and you wash them and all this stuff." Okay, he's not talking about vessels that have become impure in the ritual Levitical sense. They just are. They just need clean, clean cleansing, right? Um, it's not like, it's not like they're trying. You know, a vessel became ritually impure and they're trying to clean it. That's not what's happening here. And as a matter of fact, in Mark seven, it uses the word baptismos. They immerse it. They wash it. Whereas in the parallel language of Matthew and Luke, it's this verb that we use, purge. So I I have two examples. So for example, um, in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You clean uh, the outside of the cup and dish. Clean that which is the inside, right? So that the outside might become clean. And then Luke 11, 39. You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter, et cetera, et cetera, but not the inside. So this verb, clean, that Yeshua is uh, using here is that same word, katharizo. But he's not talking about, this is a different use than the verb used by a, even though it's the same literal word, it's not in the context of a priest declaring a leper clean or a person has, uh, you know, been restored to, Purity to go into the temple. That's not what it's talking about here. It's just talking about cleansing of dishes, just like you do when you do dishes at home, right? Uh, you know, you clean the, you clean your dishes, and that's what it's talking about. And so, so that's what's being addressed here. So this in pers- Mark seven. Th- th- it's th- not. A, uh, it's it's talking about the the digestive process by which food. Goes into a person and then comes out of a person. Because, I mean, how many times in the scriptures is the body likened unto
1: a vessel? So, Jessica, hang on just a sec. Jessica uh, clarifies a question here. She says, Do certain traditions invalidate or discredit word usage in the Septuagint compared to the New Testament? In other words, to go to the Septuagint is not a credible, is it as credible because it's not a primary translation? that would not i i don't think that that's a valid thing to say because the majority of the quotes in the apostolic scriptures in the new testament a lot of them are for lep septuagint yeah mo, the majority are i think so, I, I think so, it's yeah, 58% no, we, we
0: value we value the greek translation of the of the scriptures absolutely right. yeah uh
1: so th- this person in the in the uh, email goes on uh, however, there are no New Testament examples of this, and even when it takes this sense, it means yeah. To that's, purge... a, that's what I don't understand.
0: What he meant, I think the Luke eleven and the Matthew twenty three are are against what he commented there. it, means it does purge... mean pur. It does mean purge or clean.
1: It means there. to purge something unclean in order to make something else clean. That cannot be the meaning here, since Jesus has just stated that the food is not the issue. That's right. The food's not the issue. The excrement is the issue. This is what he's talking about, is the excrement on the inside. Well, the main,
0: the main issue is that is that people have hatred, they're covenant of course, breakers, of course, lust, Absolutely, idolatry.
1: But he's using an analogy, and the analogy that he's using is excrement. So he's talking about excrement. And the author, this person goes on, and the author of, of this chapter has already argued that the food is not unclean anyway. I think he's talking about my father. That's right. The food, my father's point is they're not eating unkosher food. Right. So it's not you the meaning cannot be that that uh, they they're eating kosher uh, unkosher food and then it comes out clean. And he's declaring all food's clean that makes yeah. no sense at all. What
0: what didn't come clear to me is what the person who is commenting with the and it's fair to be critical, you know, when we put out a statement. Right. This is not uh it, this is not a hostile act at all for this person to give this feedback right. at all. I I mean this is what we do. Um, but what's not clear to me is what his bottom line is. Well, I wasn't, did you take away, like, how does he just, I think he just says no, it just means Yeshua
1: declared all foods clean, but. What does that mean? But, what, yeah, you're, but, what you're asking is, what does that mean? What does that mean to this person? In other words, are you then suggesting that, that Yeshua is making, is saying that all food is kosher now? Or are you just yeah. saying, because, I mean, we could, if we took the translation, thus declaring all foods clean, He's still not talking about kosher food, right? And and
0: here's another thing we got to remember because there are times like this where we have a, a textual difficulty that has legitimate uh, need for debate because there's multiple sides to it that that are that that are just difficulties. Do we? How much do we want to pile on top of that doctrinally? Right? If we just look to Matthew, how does Matthew tell the same thing? If Matthew and I, I I accept the idea that Mark and priority, right? I accept that Matthew's gospel, which is different than the, the gospel to that of the Hebrews or whatever, that was, you know, people say, Oh, the Gospel of Matthew is rigidly written in Hebrew or whatever. Let's set that aside for a moment. The Gospel of Matthew that we have uh, seems to have drawn from the Gospel of Mark. Right. Right. How does Mark tell us, or how does Matthew tell us in in chapter fifteen? He doesn't use this line. He he expresses the the differently. He says it eating with unclean hands doesn't defile a person. That's that's what it is. I mean, so.
1: How much do we want so, how, that how much, to help us much, read? Oh, that must be what Yeshua's how, point is. How much proof do you need? He goes on, and and maybe you can speak to this. He says, second, he gives examples of participles that do not need to agree with their antecedents. That is fine in those cases because there is. And then he puts this all in caps. No other possible antecedent present in Mark seven eighteen through nineteen. However, there is. Therefore, the grammar demands that legay is the antecedent. No, I see. I just that's that is a a stretch and.
0: Uh, actually, so your dad's article does get into—I um, don't remember what grammar it is—but there's a, a classical Greek, you know, New Testament.
1: Do you remember? Uh, grammar. Let's put this on hold for a second because this is not the first time we've had this conversation with good scholars. Uh, do you remember when we were down in San Diego uh, for ETS SBL 2014? We were at the ETS, the, the Evangelical Theological Society. and
0: uh, That's it, when I learned to surf, man. Of course I remember <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: there, was, there was a, not. There was a uh, Messianic group. And I'm, I'm not going to put people down, but uh, needless to say, it, what I, I didn't think that it necessarily represented uh, Messianic Judaism as it should have been. Not the point. Uh, the people on the panel discussion brought this verse up and they, they they said, well, you know, uh, Jesus said that all food was now kosher. And my dad and I were sitting there <laughs> and both, not together, we weren't even sitting together. And both of us at the same time said, wait, where? <laughs> and of course, this verse got brought up. Now, after that whole, you know, we didn't want to be horribly disrespectful. So after that, we went and talked to the people about this exact verse. My dad had this this same kind of conversation about where's the antecedent. Um, so this is, I mean, I, if I remember right, there were some, I don't know, was there a quote messianic rabbi up yes, there? Yes. Yes.
0: And they, they, I, if I remember right, their angle is, oh yeah, it means that um, all food
1: is kosher for Gentiles. Gentiles. Right. Exactly. And now that is a stretch. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Anyway, the the point is is that yes, this, uh, you know, sometimes it's more important for
0: people to get a title rabbi than to actually know what study about. to show themselves approved. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, in other words, the, the point, Jessica, I would say is that obviously uh, this is a, this is one of the standard views of this verse. However, uh, this this has been I think it, I think it's a little bit. Uh, I, I, I want to be careful what I say here because I don't want to down this person this person obviously knows uh, you know knows their stuff when it comes to Greek um, but I think it's a little bit not honest with the the evidence to say that it's obvious or that there's there's no other possibility than uh, you know than this to be the antecedent because obviously scholars throughout history have yeah, the King have argued James this. version is a perfect example that
0: was a, a big those guys were trained from youth probably in the classic literature of greek probably even hebrew and latin right and they you know and yes they had limited manuscripts and things like that but they just translated the greek the best they could you know the the king in other words the king james version for the most part is a really good translation of the manuscripts they had available right absolutely i mean it's not so when we when we Talk about the King James version, and we might downplay it a little bit. We should be fair and say, look, those guys did a great job with the, with the information that they had available. to
1: and them. And who did they rest on the most? I think they rested on Tyndale.
0: Oh well, yeah, that's that's a study in and of itself too. It is. So Let's, it's a, uh, of course what we will do now. If in the you know the Protestant tradition that is pro scholarship, we are thrilled that we have thousands and thousands more manuscripts available earlier right. that help us refine uh, and say, Oh no, that's a later edition. That's a later edition. That reading, that reading crept in and you know, we're confronted with a bigger problem. Right. But this is our free, you know, this is our freedom in Messiah. Our freedom in Messiah is that I don't have to have some guy saying, Oh, if you don't use the King James, you're going to hell, you know, like, like, no, you know, we, to be free means we stand and we, we have a greater responsibility, but God doesn't want us to bury our heads in the sand, right. And pretend that we don't have to think anymore. We don't have to be challenged or have difficulties. You know, we do have difficulties. Um, but, but yeah, I think that in this, I say, go King James with this, with Mark at seven nineteen.
1: Well, you heard that. Okay. Um, so let's move topics now, and uh, we'll just let everyone know again, become part of the conversation, 253-465-3205. That's two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Send us an email, chegg, C-H-E-G-G, at Torresource.com. Okay, let's move on. Next? Now, this was an interesting one. And... Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but I'm so I'll let R- Rob take over. Just the vowels, point? right? However, I will say this this is the oh. first thing I'll say, and I'll even say it before we even read the, the, the email. This was sent to us. Somebody said that somebody else was uh, teaching this, and they wanted to know our thoughts on this. The Hebrew roots and Messianic movement, I think, are the only people who believe that Hebrew. Functions totally different than any other language on Earth. You couldn't do this with any other language on Earth, and if you did, people would think you were totally nuts. But instead, Hebrew is 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 magical and mystical in that it functions like no. It's not it's not a language. It's rigid. It's strict. It's you know you have to do it just like this, and uh, if it's corrupt, it's no good anymore. Let's let's read this.
0: <clears throat> well, here, I'll, I'll share. I, I don't have permission to share the email. So what I'll do is I'll just read the, the basic point here. Now, the, the person who sent this encountered this teaching somewhere. So I, think, I, don't I, th-
1: I think we can read this email. Nobody knows who it is. Okay, so this
0: person, that they, they say that they wanted to research the Hebrew letter Aleph. It says, being the first letter in their al- alphabet had in many cases been changed by the Masorites from capital A to a capital E in suspicious places. Okay, so that's the premise here. Still, the capital A remained in Adam. So the word Adam, which starts with an Aleph, right? How do you spell Adam in Hebrew? Aleph, Dalit, Mem, Adam. So we have it, ah, Adam, yet in the places of the Almighty One, that is for the word Elohim, which also starts with Aleph, they gave it an E sound. And then they put an O vowel between the L, the Lamed, and the He, making Elohim. So in the original pure Hebrew, before the Masoretes got involved, there was only consonants. And as a result, not trusting the scribes that our Messiah warned us about. I've decided to restore the A to where I feel it should be. Hence, Allahim.
1: Okay, hang on just a sec. Now, this is something, and, and uh, both Rob and I were talking about a little bit about this uh, before the show. The Masoretes did not invent sounds. No, I know. Well, here's <laughs> I have to
0: say this last bit. Perhaps the Jewish religious order were trying to get as far away from Arabic as they could. Okay, so he, he so he's saying Yeshua says, "Be careful of the scribes," which obviously was two thousand years ago. And then he's talking about the Masoretes getting away from Arabic, which is like so. 800 he's suggesting years later. that, the, that Arab, Arabic, which is Islamic culture in the seventh eighth century, influenced the Masoretes to change the vowels so that they would be different from Arabic sounding. And one is that olive, every time you see an olive, it should have, presumably, I don't know if he says a, I don't know if he says Allah, Allahim, or if he says Allahim, but
1: this is really silly. Uh, It's silly on a number of levels. Well, the the point is, is that, look, the Masoretes, and if you don't know what the Masoretes are, the Masoretes are the people who uh, uh, (laughs) continue to be restored, a restored olive Bible like I've gone through the
0: whole Tanakh and everywhere there's an Aleph, I've restored it to an ah sound
1: so that you're reading the scripture <clears throat> the point is is that the, the masoretes didn't come in and create new sounds in the in the Hebrew language That's ridiculous what they did was they pointed it so that that people wouldn't lose the sound to preserve the sound right, exactly
0: here's here's some examples of what we know so this person mentioned the word adam well if Ah is good enough for Adam, it's good enough for Allah, Allahim, oh, right? Because right. it's an Aleph. Well, here, here's a, uh, some important thoughts on this, is that um, if you look, I said you don't even have to go to the reads for this, right? You can go to the Septuagint. Right. Because we have a 3rd century B.C. Greek text that is transliterate has many many transliterations particularly with names right words that you don't translate words right. that you just try to try to try to, to
1: s- sound them out phonetically
0: so for example adam we have Aleph or alpha delta alpha mu so adam that's where we get adam uh abraham is abraham so we have three a's there three alphas but there's only one alpha in or one aleph in hebrew avraham but look at this. The same scribes that transliterate the Aleph, like an Adam and an Abraham, with an A, or with an, with an Alpha, look at what they do with the name like Ephraim. So one of the tribes, right? One of Joseph's sons. Ephraim starts with an Aleph, but it's spelled with an Epsilon in Greek. Or how about Esther? Right. Esther in Hebrew starts with an Aleph. How did the Greek Jews, these Greek Uh, priests transliterate it, they transliterate it with an Epsilon, Esther. There's many more of these. Eleazar, Eliakim. These are all that start with Aleph-Lamed for L. And you can go on and on. Here's another one. Edom, Edom, right? Aleph-Dalet-Vav-Mem is spelled in Greek with an Epsilon-Delta-Omega-Mu. Edom. Elizabeth, Right? And then there's like Ethamar, like, Eatthemar, one of the son, one of the priests, Ethamar. Uh, they they start that now. It starts with an olive in Hebrew, but it is vocalized with a Heric, yo yod Eatthemar, and in the Septuagint it's spelled with a yoda. It starts with a yoda.
1: So I, I think the ba- it, I think one of the I, I think one of the basic things that needs to be remembered here is this: Why did God choose Abraham? Well, nothing of Abraham, he, because he liked the olive. It was, it's <laughs> no, like, hey, we, our the, names
0: our names start with the same letter.
1: Why did he choose a, a, a slave nation? Why did he? Why you know? Why a, a a shepherd nation that would become a you know a shepherd people that would become a slave nation? Because they were the lowliest. They were the most common they they could be overpowered by uh, you know by a by a country and and to show that it is God's power to show that it's God's power so why would we think that a shepherd people who become a slave nation have a language that's holy it's common that's the point is that it was co- it was the most common language and you know how we can prove this is that the apostolic not, scriptures not,
0: he, Caleb doesn't mean that it was everywhere he just means it was just
1: the men a human language right exactly right? and and it split off into many different languages right the, the i mean hebrew and you know you have all these languages that are similar arabic is one of right, them you know semitic languages Semitic large. languages right and how do we know that this was a, you know that it was a common language well the reason why is because when the almighty decided to inspire the apostolic scriptures he did it again in the most common language the common language at the time was greek it wasn't hebrew anymore you know, it wasn't a Canaanite language anymore that was that was uh, predominant in that region. No, it was Greek that was predominant in the region where where uh, the men were writing. And So he wanted the the scriptures to go, every, uh, you know, all over the place, and he uses two different languages in the scriptures because it's not holy. It's not a holy language. It's a common. And not only language. that,
0: there are there are other words. We've got Aramaic. We've got. Akkadian cuts Akkadian Sumerian Persian Egyptian um along with Greek Latin later I mean it's yeah it's like this is the world we live in a world where you know we've got cultures and languages that you know rub up against each other and influence one another and
1: but the point the point is is that is that Hebrew needs to be treated like any other language it's not holy. There's not mystical value in the you know in everything. There's not you know God didn't hide all these secret meanings behind every letter or you know or, or he didn't you know it's just because something this
0: this, it, this particular person proposes a new they have a a, a a handout a sheet that has a shema spelled out and so for Israel they have israel ishral yo like so they take they take the Yod of israel as Y, the 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 letter seen as a sheen because they don't acknowledge that a letter could have more than one sound i wonder if they go to the store and say go to the grocer and say i need some jalapeno peppers (laughs) i need some jalapeno peppers Uh, do you have any jalapeno well we have jalapeno no jalapeno because a j if it's a j it's got to be J. It's got to be a J, and then they because Israel ends in the word God, right? Aleph Lamed. They put Al, uh, A L, Israel, Israel for Israel. But here's another example of where well, if you look at the Greek transliteration, and this is Greek transliteration accepted by Josephus, by Philo, by the the Septuagint, the the, the apostles themselves. Paul wrote. This is how he spelled Israel. He ends it with an Ada Ale, Yisrael.
1: Right. right.
0: Ada Lambda is how it ends, and all the prophets that whose names end in L Daniel, Ezekiel, right? All these end in an Ada Lambda. Not all. So back to the point: when the Masoretes are adding these vowel points, they're capturing what they hear, and languages is. is is way beyond the level of what is actually written there that's just like with jalapeno right i mean how many examples of of words that are like the word circle right c-i-r-c-l-e well the first c i say with an s the second c i say with a K. does this guy does he use does he say around no it's kirkle or does he say <laughs> does he allow himself oh in his God. own life does he stick to this because what he's doing, he's imposing this on other people, particularly when he has this big Shema. This is how you say the Shema. And he's telling people Yeah, it it's frustrating because so, here again you have someone who is has a way higher self conception than is even close to accurate in this particular realm. They so, they are not thinking of themselves soberly. Right. They are thinking of themselves way way higher, and that's scary. That should put the terror of God in all of us. That we I mean, if you remember back to the Torah portion that we had a couple weeks ago in the three year cycle, is why why does the king in Deuteronomy it talks about the king will write the Torah and he will read it and meditate on it day and night, and so his heart won't be lifted up above others yeah above I'm, his brothers I'm what i see I'm here is this person right. is saying you know what i don't care what the ancient greek jews did i don't care even at qumran he talks about the O. we have example example after example for example uh for example at qumran of the word elohim right. spelled aleph lamed vav hey Yod, Mem, elohim where they put the vav for the o the qumran group was not masoretic and not only that, we have in the Greek uh, Jewish tradition, we have words like Elohim transliterated with an omega. Even in the gospel where Yeshua's on the cross, Eloe, right? It's, it's epsilon, lambda, omega, Elo. It's, the implication is that there's the holom there, whether it's represented by just a simple dot or whether it's a, a holom with the vav. What this person is doing is saying, none of that matters. matters right. I have the truth. I'm restoring it. And this is the proper way for you to recite the Shema. That if it, and he can't even read Hebrew. He's got a couple of these letters. Instead of a Dalit, he's got a Rash. Instead of an ayin. he's got a Tzadi. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. But yet, there's going to be people out there
1: that go, oh, this is true so somebody in the chat room says um, what are the tongues of angels Paul speaks of some say Hebrew or do you believe that it is a euphemism um, I have Good not question. done I've not done a full study on uh, the tongue you know the, the language of angels however this much I know every time that a angel comes to uh, a person in the Bible people understand them. They seem to be speaking in the languages of the people. So when he talks about the language of angels, well, what's the language of angels? To me, it's not some mystical something, you know, something that no one can understand. Uh, Angels speak to people that seem to speak different languages, and yet people always understand. It could be, and, and that's a really
0: fair, plausible reading on that. Another is that it's Hebrew and and but understanding the context of for example some of the jewish sectarian groups particularly those that upheld the book of jubilees like right. at qumran where it says the angels taught abraham hebrew so he could read hebrew so and then they had what we read about, like in Colossians, about people who, the worship of angels. What does this mean? At Qumran, they had the, the songs of Sabbath sacrifice, where, where the community read these liturgical texts all in Hebrew, and they, they imagined themselves like being elevated and angelified, kind of, and joining with angels. Um, right. Because remember, Qumran and, and the Book of Jubilees has a, a pretty high... uh angel, you know, the way they define the angelic world. I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm just saying that they really had a picture of who angels were. Like, for example, angels were circumcised. So that male circumcision for the covenant people of God replicates them becoming like angels. Right. So when Paul says, if I speak with the tongue of angels, he could be using that in a hyperbolic kind of sense. Right? Because people are like, oh, you know, if if you don't if you don't learn Hebrew if you don't speak in the
1: tongue of angels. So just there's some funny, way there are understand. some funny people in the chat room right now. Um one one person asks though, same person asks uh where did the term Lashon HaKodesh start, meaning the the holy language, uh Hebrew as Lashon HaKodesh? the, the
0: that starts in that same realm of Jubilees. Right. The idea that there is uh a a and so it's Qumran. We find um some sort of description of of Hebrew being a holy language, but here's the but here's we have to re- remember that the Qumran use of Hebrew was markedly different than Jerusalemite Hebrew right. in sectarian texts. In other words, they it would be like it would be like the British saying our British English is holy, and at the same time saying American English is common. So it's the same. So at one level, it's the same language. We're mutual; we can understand each other. But the Brits might say, "Well, ours is holy." In other words, the way the way we speak, the the specific nouns we use, where you Americans have barbarians, you're barbarians because you say tomato
1: instead of tomato. We (laughs) have to remember that
0: in the earliest use of of the idea of a lashon uh, kodesh, right? Like a Qumran, it's in that context. It's very sectarian. It's not Jew versus Gentile it's jew versus other jews that aren't good enough right right because they're not holy like we are and that's so important by the time we get into the later uh, idea of of an ideology of hebrew as a holy language in the rabbinic world it's it's way past the sectarianism of the second temple period has all faded and you have pretty much boiled down to the rabbis um, in their own discourse over against like a gentile language right and ultimately, that's the rejection of Greek. It wasn't at first in the earliest strata of rabbinic literature. There's no problem with the Greek Torah scroll. There's no problem even with Greek in your mezuzah, for example. But in uh, at some point before the rise of Islam, probably because of of you know church presence, Christian presence in the land of Israel, um, Greek became like almost kind of forbidden. Like you right. don't. We don't learn Greek, which means what they did, the rabbis, when they start pushing that, they create, they kind of ghettoize themselves by saying, look, we're, we are going to just stick with this holy language and we cut ourselves off from all Jewish Greek tradition.
1: But this also, this also had to do with it, with the uh, split, which is sad with, with the division of the ways. Christianity when Christianity yeah, this, rises, but this is way past. Yeah, this is probably more like fifth, sixth century. That's my point is that yeah. when the when the Christians accept the codex and and Greek becomes the Christian language because they're now and the Septuagint becomes the right. Yeah, exactly. It becomes yeah. their 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 source text. The the uh, the. This is part of that that split. This has been a good conversation, and uh, yeah. So we didn't I, get to talk about the mikvah. That's okay because we'll talk about it next week. Next week okay. will be uh, mikvah time. We'll Good. take a virtual mikvah. Um, yeah, everybody should. Every, all <laughs> right, all right. No well, a real one, uh, but a, uh, a, big, a big in thing. living
0: water. Go to a lake. That's go right. Go to a river.
1: Yes. Uh, a, a big thank you to our supporters. You can help support Messiah Matters for as little as five dollars a month. Go to our page on Torah Resource and figure out how. And uh, for those who support us, you get uh, access to Messiah Matters More, which is a page that uh, we put extra content up on. And we're going to try, I'm going to try to actually load some of my lectures um, like as soon as I get done in Ontario, uh, I'll try to have them up on Messiah Matters More and uh, whatnot. And then actually, so we have next week. And then the week after that, I will have just gotten back from Ontario. And so maybe uh, next week we'll talk about baptism. Then the week after that. Maybe we'll talk about, um, we'll talk about. Well, for sure,
0: we'll want to talk about your, some of your takeaways, your experience, like what did you gauge, what did you learn, what insights, the status of
1: what's going on. Exactly. All right. So, uh, yeah, until next week, we hope that you've enjoyed this. And uh, keep keep bringing in the uh, emails and, and the comments, uh, 253-465-3205, cheg at Torah resource.com. This show runs on your comments and your suggestions, so keep them coming. And we hope that this conversation did one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and the Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters.